Okay. What's good in the hood, what's, man? What's good? Round of applause. Let's get this started. Garfield, what's up, brother? Thank you for joining me on the Low Theory, man. Man, thanks for having me, man. I and, and yo, the Boston hat. Of course. I see you, bro. <laughs> I see you. I should have worn mine, but I had to just rep, you know, brand, brand, had to keep it in brand. You know what I'm saying? You know what it is. I, I love your, I love your, your, your brand though, the low theory. That's appreciate you. Because it always reminds me of the low end theory of our trial core quest. Thank you. That's You're like ahead. One of my favorites of all times. Midnight Marauder than that right there. Yo, and, and and you see, only only like true heads would know where I got that from. <laughs> Obviously, the low end theory for sure. Yo, um, nah, so so thank you, man. Thank you. So. uh yeah, so on the low theory, basically what we do is we just chop it up for, you know, 20, 30 minutes, man. We want to talk about uh, past, present, and, and overall, the it's just a music-themed um, interview, bro. So I, I definitely appreciate you jumping on because, honestly, shy, huge fan. I was definitely blasting that, that, that album like crazy. Um, you know, if I ever fall in love, of course, I had that on every single mixtape. You know, <laughs> I was it's yeah. crazy, man. Comforter's my joint, appreciate it. yeah, man. Yo, that, um, I, I never get tired of hearing that, man. Never get used to hearing it either. I was gonna say that. I, I, I'm glad you don't, man, because you still have a lot of diehard fans, though, for sure. Yeah, that's I, I, that keeps me going, man. I love it. Words, so yo, let's jump right in. First and foremost, what I want to talk about is, of course, the bean. You grew up in Brockton. Rock tell, me, mash, yes. tell me Rock about that, Rock man. Too. Tell me about those memories. Like, how'd that happen? Like, how, oh how did you come to the God. beat? Those are some of the best memories I have in my life. And, um, you know, like, um, like I'm still in contact with my basketball coach, Coach Ortiz. Vic. So, okay. Vic, if you're out there. And um, so, Brockton Boxer. So, I moved to Quincy Mass first before I go. Okay, so I was with my mom. lived with my mom. And she lived in Montgomery, Alabama. I was living with my mom in Montgomery. And my okay. mom and dad got divorced. My dad moved to, to Quincy. And um, so when I'm like 12-ish, I move up there. I get involved in youth sports, play football in Quincy. But in Quincy was just like Montgomery. It was just up north. Like they, if, when I moved there, it wasn't a lot of black kids there at all. It was a lot oh, of um, Irish, a lot of Italian, um, you know. But they they weren't used to being around black kids. And so right. I made friends. I made a lot of good friends. But then also there were people who kind of like just didn't like me because of my skin color. I had to fight a lot. And so, mm. and so anyway, that year, it was dope, though. I played ball for Quincy High. I did that. I made a lot of lifelong friends there. But my dad was That's like, That's crazy. I was like, yo, dad, look, man, I don't know if I could do Quincy going through high school in Quincy, man, for real. Like, I, 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 I love you and all that. But he was like, so did you see any, any place when you was playing ball on the road, you know, that you, that you like? I said, well, it was two places that I saw that I really dug. I said, Cambridge, Cambridge Ridge and Latin High School. Or Yo, Brockton High School. I said Brockton High School. Okay, let, let me let me tell like <laughs> let me tell you a true fact. This is not no BS, man. My mom went to Cambridge Ridge and Latin, bro. When when, when Patrick Ewan was there, yeah, real yeah. talk, man. Those Jarvis. <laughs> yeah, yes. So so he didn't pick, I guess, because you know Cambridge. I guess the cost as an adult making that decision, he got to consider the cost of living. And Harvard is Cambridge is hard. You know that's like right. a higher. In Brockton, you know, certain parts of it were no slaps, but we kind of had a nice, we picked Brockton, we moved to Brockton, and then I went out for the basketball team, and people don't know that Brockton is the biggest school, high school, east of the Mississippi River. 
And so the oh. the the, uh, the uh, population in the high school was six thousand students at my at my time, and the graduating class was two thousand students. So just the basketball tryouts was like man crazy. Oh. It was like maybe two hundred kids on the first day talking about making thirteen spots. Yo. And then in Brockton, the way it's designed is North Junior High, South, East, and West Junior High. Like, and those feed into Brockton. So they got they pick up all them junior high schools coming. So they got all this talent. And I had just moved there, and I, I beat somebody out. I got a spot. So I made the team. And Crazy. The team was 20-something in the nation that year or whatever. And uh, we had to play against Brockton. We played against Ramil and them. Oh, yeah, Ramil uh, Robinson. Yeah. Yep. Did yeah. Coach Jarvis and Jim Edgehill. Yeah. And, and, yeah, yeah. All the other man jobs. Did, did anybody? Did anybody um out of your high school go to the NBA at all? Do you remember anybody coming up or not? Well, Ramil, well, not Ramil, Ramil. I don't know. Of course. course. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Rock the We had a lot of D one players and stuff like that, but I don't think anybody ever went to the league. Like Curtis Jackson, he was our center at the time. He was like six eleven while he was in high school. He went to DePaul. Um, Gary Myers got him in DePaul on scholarship. That's crazy, bro. Other player. We had a, a player though named Orlando Vandross who was the, the star point guard of our squad, who went on to, like, be a, a hell of a coach for, like, oh. I think BU. And um, I think he went to Florida International. Like, I, I, I try to keep okay. up with him. But he ended up excelling as a coach. Okay. And, um, I'm just proud of him. From well, this, well, that was well, my point guard, man. Like, dude, right. Allie Utes and told me I ain't had no hops when I was jumping 40 inches off the floor. <laughs> I had a vertical back then. I made the AU squad. Words. Games. Yeah. We what was your What was your stats like? I was so okay. I was like a so just body type or whatever. I was a slim six two one eighty five pounder. I had a um. They measured my vertical in AAU. I had a thirty eight inch vertical, but um, okay. I had the right knee, so I was literally jumping off one leg. Um, cause younger, um, motorcycle accident, but oh, I, shoot. I was so skinny, but I had hops. I was just flying through the air. <laughs> the whole <laughs> team had hops. Cause, um, then there's a dude at Curtis Jackson who ended up going to university of Cincinnati who had a 42 or 43 inch vertical, right? Crazy. About 38. He had that and everything. Crazy. So, you know, yeah. So, you know, I, I was like a, you know, like on the AAU squad, I was probably averaging, like they played me a two guard, some point guard and three guard. Yeah. And yeah. I averaged like 14 points, maybe okay. like eight, eight rebounds. You know, it was like like that. But it was a whole, you know, it was a talent. It was an AAU squad, so it was a talent yeah. distribution. And um, so I was like, yeah, I was like, you know, the, nah, the three. Nah, for sure. Okay, I was nah, like, that's, that's dope, man. And it's crazy because, like, I had no idea, you know, you, you, you kind of grew up in mass, which is which I think is sick, man. Um, And then another thing, you know, you, you're a hip-hop head. You yeah, know, you, you, you know, right. Day, you you about the culture, right? You go to Chelsea and battle before the Rican kids. They used to have <laughs> work for us, boy. You go to Chelsea, Jamaica, play. Oh, off. shoot. You got trenches down there. Stay Yo, that's down, real. Bro. That's <laughs> so real. That's so real, bro. Yeah, but I had a ball, man. You know, in Dudley back then on the Orange Line, man, it was like to be feared. Like, Dudley was real because we used to go to Kite Festival, Franklin Park. Yes. I used to get off at Dudley and then walk up the block past the boys' club. I used to play ball at the boys' club and used to, you know, and I used to pop and play ball. So that, back then, I used to see Michael Bivens in that boys' club, the Roxbury Boys' Club right there. Oh, where? Twins name, I think Billy and Bobby. I think it was called the Funk Effects. But they was pop. They used to pop. I used to check out their little moves. <laughs> they was dope, man. It was twins was dope, man. And um, 
But I, I used to get mine. We was, you know, we had our little crew. We used to battle and stuff like that. Yo, that's it, ill. It, you know, that was, that was I, my day. Because growing up, you know, Beach Street had just came out. You know what I'm saying? Break it. Oh, yeah. We Hell, go, yeah. I went to the theater to see that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Oh, word. Yo, <laughs> don't name yourself. I, was... <laughs> I skipped school to see that, man. Mom, if you're watching, you don't know that. But I definitely skipped school to watch that movie, man. Yeah, Boston was real. Brockton was even real, especially around them times, man, that I came up in Brockton. You know, I was a basketball player, athlete, so I stayed out of trouble and all that. But it was trouble to be found if he was looking for it, man. Like, oh, absolutely. Lives were being lost, man. And, you know, Brockton is home of, you know, Rocky Marciano and Marvin Hagler. So mm -hmm. our nickname is the Boxers, come from that, you know, our basketball logo is a little bulldog dripping the basketball. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Um, you know, Brockton was a blue collar, real place. I learned a lot of life lessons, man. Right. And I, I met so many different types of people. Like because of my look, whatever I got, like curl, I got to look bald, but I got like curly hair, whatever. So like the the Cape Verdeans from New Bedford, yes. like Rockland was supposed to have beef from New Bedford, but I got along with the Cape Verdeans because they felt like I was like looked like one of them. Right, so, right. Like, you definitely could pass for one. Jag, I was eating, they was feeding me, I was loving it. And um, <laughs> in the Puerto Ricans, they was like, look, you look too Puerto Rican and not learn Spanish. I'm gonna teach you some, Puerto some Spanish. So I was learning Spanish, them, you know what I'm saying, in the Portuguese. You know, yeah, that's crazy. The Puerto Ricans and then the brothers, of course. It right. was just like a dope, you know, it was just right. a dope vibe. And then everybody had popping skills. You had beatboxing. Hip-hop was in its infant stages growing. And right. you had cats around there really taking it serious, perfecting the craft, MCs, DJs. And right. You no, know, it that's was just crazy. Dope. Like, I heard you did it, you did it. melody for the first time on a basketball court. We was playing outside. And these Puerto Rican dudes came. It was, it was a soccer field adjacent. And they bought this humongous boom box with, like, two turntables on it and like four cassettes and um, they had the the, the, the the record they put the record on and i heard Ooh. yes we was playing ball and that came on and then you know turn off the bass check out my melody yes said, oh, i'm letting knowledge be born i'm like yo who is that rock kim i heard rock kim was was in rock then on the basketball court with two puerto ricans with a turn two turntables on this boom box when i'm hooping and Yo, so that's those, crazy. Those kind of memories, like you know, <laughs> vivid, vivid, man. That's that's awesome, bro. Let's um, I mean, it's fair to say that Massachusetts kind of molded you in the, in the hip hop a little bit. So so fast forward, bro, because um, I I I know the answer to this, but for everybody who doesn't know, um, let's go into shy. Okay. Now, so so I heard and tell me if I'm wrong, like like the group was kind of already established. You were you were kind of a late member. Of yeah, kind of, of some like, right. Like before it was even named Shy. Like those, the, the group consisted of three Alpha Phi Alpha fraternity members, and then myself. Mm -hmm. and so Darnell, Mark, and Carl—they were in the same fraternity. So, matter of fact, Darnell and Carl had formed a group called Beta since Alpha Phi Alpha was Beta chapter at Howard. So okay. they had a little two-man writer production. They were maybe going to sell some of the song type of working on music. And they were called Beta, but they were gearing up for this big talent show. Um, that happened once a year at Howard. And um, this is our only performance at Shot actually, too, before we got a record deal. We didn't do all kind of shows. We did this one show, but it was like Whoa. the Apollo. And so I had started hanging back out with Darnell again, you know, life stuff, separators, we came back together. And during that time that I started hanging with him, chilling in the fine arts building where they used to rehearse every day, mm -hmm. like six, maybe like maybe five months out from the show, well, two of the guys quit. But since I had been hanging with DNA every day while they were rehearsing, 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 I knew all the parts, at least the bass thing. Oh, so nice. Two guys, two, two other alphas quit right before the 
talent show because at this talent show people get booed like it's like the apollo mm. and, it's, and it's not because of lack of talent that they're getting booed it's just like the, the atmosphere that the football rowdy football players want to create right your crowd the new england posses right they, they want to boo something they're gonna come in and boo something right right sound like so people were scared to go in and perform so those two dudes dropped off i was in there the whole time and i knew the parts and he was like yo man we went from five man harmony to three man harmony we need that full part at least can you you know i know you know so I was like, yeah, I've been in here. I do osmosis. I done soaked up some of these. So I agreed to go ahead and do it. And so that's kind of how I jumped into the shot thing because I was just there with them and two people quit. I jumped on stage and we killed it. And then shortly thereafter, we pursued a record deal and actually ended up freaking getting a record deal from MCA. Like, that's you know. shortly after that, that, yeah. that talent like we show. We only did that one show, but that show was like the proving grounds for sure, man. Like, and all the acts up there was so was it, talented like was it like a like, r's in the crowd or something no but it should have been and it might have been but it was okay. like really a show you know for the students put uh -huh. on and um at, at this the um um big auditorium on the Howard campus and like i said it, it, it's exactly like the apollo the atmosphere the crowd only thing missing right. is saying that he don't come across stage but right two bars into your music while they still fresh and just coming to the party, party got a little, you know, little alcohol in them, whatever. Yeah. They're going to turn up, and that's how they're going to do it. At your expense on stage, they're just going to boo you just because. That's and, crazy, um, the bro. The talent, though, the talent was off the chain that was before. It's like a lot of the artists end up being these signed artists that were out, you know, getting, that were outside that people know and love to this day. They were at that talent show that came out of Howard, a lot of people. And, uh, but they didn't, and, and they got booed and didn't deserve it, like. Yo, I was, it, it, I was the, like blown away. We just got lucky because we went on kind of last. And I think we just wore out the, the boo muscle of everybody's throat. They just wanted to just finally listen to somebody. <laughs> and we, and perfect we got lucky timing. To be last. <laughs> yeah, right, so, right, right. I heard you guys came out to the five, four, three. And, and like, yeah, we did Voice and Men song. We did Please Don't Go Away. We did Uh I. We did a couple of more songs yeah. off that first Voice and Men album. Yeah. And then they didn't boo us. And then they asked us for an encore. Then we oh. were, you know, because we had our music on this little DAT for the show, for all the boys and men. We had instrumentals on this DAT. But mm -hmm. we didn't have nothing else. Like, the DAT was, we did all that. So now what? So that's when we were like, yo, y'all want to do our little practice song? You know, if I ever a little acapella practice song? And um, said, so yeah, we, we closed ranks at the front of the stage and, and got into a tight. And then started doing our snaps. And then did, ooh, da do then on and by the second chorus the actual crowd the crowd that was just hating on everybody and booing everybody by the time the second chorus came around again they were actually you know saying like and that gave us the like the momentum like yo if, we, if those people the mean the mean mug dudes out there and they like that happened to them right this song is magic we're gonna get right. a record deal like that's how we thought in our naivety we was like look if they we gonna get right. the deal, and yeah. we mentioned when they got a deal, and then when we finally got a deal, and looked back on the process and all the bureaucratic hurdles and hoops that people usually have to jump through and all that, we realized that in our naivety, you know, we we totally passed over all of that um, in yeah. terms of how we thought it was gonna be. But looking back, just because you got a dope song, I mean, you gonna get a record deal, <laughs> right? But got, with all the cars fell in the way they, you know, they we was I guess we were destined to be. Hence the name Shy, which means destiny in uniform, because. It was almost storybook how that happened for us. It was crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, man. Um, you know, that song was 
was the song of that year, not like 92 to 94. I mean, everybody was singing that song, man. Everybody's covering it. I mean, yeah, when, when, when you walked into that song, did you know it was going to be the way, the way it ended up being, like that huge? Man, and, and like I said, in the most naive way possible when I answered you this, that, that, giving the answer, we really thought that the song was supposed to be legendary as soon as we heard it. As soon as we felt like we did it, we was like, yo, this is the dopest song ever. Like, we wow. really believed that. <laughs> you knew <laughs> it, right. We weren't taking in all the, right. the variables that after being signed and looking at the game and all the things that you now have to use as a checkpoint. Right. You know, back then, we didn't have that developed list. We just, the only criteria was we thought it was dope. And it really did sincerely move us. And when we sung it or played it for others, they seemed to have the same reaction. It's Crazy. It's and that's it. And we're supposed to blow up. And you figure that's the formula. Like, that's how and we the... felt about it. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. When it actually happened, we were right. like, yeah, of course. But then as we got into the industry and saw actually what goes down, like other um, albums that we did and trying to get the single out and, you right. know, that's with the machine behind us and having all the difficulty in the red tape. and the, Yeah. You know, Dang, that's crazy how If I Ever just popped. Cause yeah. That was wow. <laughs> I want to, I want to add, speaking of the machine, I want to ask you one more. Um, Cause my favorite joint off that album is Comforter. Now, I heard you say that um, the label wasn't really trying to push that record. Nah, Give us nah, a little more insight on that. That was almost like a dare that that record was even released as a single. Like it was, the label was, I believe the label was intending on putting If I Ever Out, and they, they gave us two weeks to do our first album because they wanted to sell that on an album rather than a single by itself for nine ninety nine. If it's on an album, they can sell that unit for $20-something dollars. Cause it's a, okay. So they made us do it in two weeks, hurry up, get something done, which is what allowed us to be able to do our own album because they, they didn't have time to get producers to put with us. So since we did our own music, all right, Harry, just put some stuff with that If I Ever one. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but luckily mm -hmm. we had a cappella version of Comforter that we used to do also as a practice song, and Baby I'm Yours, that was like a practice song, and Together Forever, which was something that Mark had already written and brought to the group. So mm -hmm. when we do we do the album, whatever, they I think the label definitely, if I ever was the first single, without a doubt, it was already out. Right. They were only gonna release, I think, Baby I'm Yours second. That was gonna be the only other single was Baby I'm Yours. Why? Because it had a relatively pop sound even though the original was just the piano chords and us singing it and just the piano like how we did it in the fine arts rooms it sounded like let's get along by marvin gay because those are the chords of baby i'm yours it's, all it is is let's get along if you listen to the chord oh i gotta go that's, back that's just, that's just and then the, the label kind of made us add that like mm -hmm. that made it pop you know like right kind of pop um, if that was not there and it was all a gloss wasn't on the piano, it was just boom, 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 let's get it on. Oh. Like, let's, let's get it on. And so anyway, they were going to put that out because we, it was more appealing to the white radio formats with the major radio yeah. formats, P1s that played you, heavy rotation, and yeah. sister stations that would add you. So we were going to benefit from ads getting it on those major P1s, which happened to be power stations. But but we were alienating ourselves from the black kind of stations, and we come out of Howard. That's a bad look. That people were blaming us though. We didn't realize that. We thought that they knew we were signed to some label, and they were calling the shots, and we were just kind of trying to. No, they were directly blaming us. And so when we found out that that was happening, we were like, "Yo, we gotta we from spin. We gotta go to our label." So we went to the label, had a meeting, was like, "Look, man, the ear on the street is after if I ever people are like 
they like if I ever lied and all that, but the, the people from the black neighborhoods are saying they love Comforter. Like so much right. so that it's guaranteed to go platinum if you release this. Like, yeah, we're 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 singers, but we all we're product, but we also human beings in the marketplace too. Like we're like human products. Like they can hear people's feedback and just tell you what it is. Yes. Well, get market research, we tell you what it is. And so they were like basically how that lady told LeBron to shut up and dribble. Basically our label was kind of had that attitude, like about the wow. We'll and we're like, nah, we from Howard, so we stayed in the square. Like, nah, we telling you that Comforter is the joint. And on top of that, it's not as pop sounding as Baby I'm Yours. And we need to kind of like ingratiate ourselves once again with our black base because they feeling like we kind of leaving them a little bit. You know what I mean? So we not doing black radio. We only doing, you know, it's like, come on, man, something got to give. Right. So basically they were like, okay, we're going we're gonna to show you what's going on. We're going to release... We're gonna release uh, Comforter, and then we're gonna release Baby I'm Yours, and then we'll see what the deal is. Come out, real cheap video. Even though people seem to like that video, it was just really cheaply to it. But mm. carried yeah. off somehow. It was, it was cool, my God, I guess. Um, but they just put a lot of money in the promotion and the marketing of, of that song at all. But purely on the fact that the people loved that song, the units was that they, they, it moved units. The video got put in rotation, as you know, as low yep. budget as that video was. Yeah, it was a popular song based on popular support for sure. Did it go? So, it went gold. It went gold out the gate. Later on, I think by now, you know, don't want platinum and all that. But at that right. time, without with minimum support, without anybody paying any program director's money or any anything that they do in the budget, any of that stuff, just strictly calls. And wow. popular stuff, it went gold out the gate and in and, and, and it charted in the top ten on Billboard. And it, it's and so, almost like a I told you so to that the whole, yeah, the whole so team. They, they they stopped the campaign because they it was at ten. It was it could have kept rising. It was already in the top ten. They just cut it short. And then they put on Baby I'm Yours and they had to really promote Baby I'm Yours a lot. Like and even oh. within Baby I'm Yours, we were we were savvy enough to know that what they were trying to do with the pop angle. So we made sure that we did the video back at Howard University to create that anchor and that that that, that uh, chord with our bass. Look, this is where we come from. Like, even though the song got that, this is Howard though. And then we did the right. acapella thing at the end, and that was kind of how we used to really do it. If you heard the very end of the video, we did a little acapella on the bleachers. Yeah, that's yep. that's that's baby, I'm yours that I know. That's why you know. Oh it's, 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 man, it's the story, man. Darnell and I are doing a biopic <laughs> of. of um, writing it ourselves of the whole shy experience, even before we were shy, just students at Howard, coming from where we came from. Oh, that's that's gonna be incredible. Into shy, yeah, and, and what that meant for us, and coming of age and that skin. Absolutely, that absolutely, shy. man. No, I think that's gonna be great. Now let let let's switch gears just a little bit, since you know you're a hip hop head. You got a record with Jay Z, yeah, go man. Right, man, that was Three crazy verses. how that happened. Look, Jigga killed it too, man. And we he got a record with KRS One too called Destiny. KRS never did anything with an R&B group except for us, and he he does. We did the beat, oh. and the, the song was called Destiny. He was really feeling the, the 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 concept so much that he killed it. Like, so we did a joint with him and Jigga. The one with Jay Z though, it was like, um, we did a song called I Don't Want to Be Alone Tonight off the mm -hmm. Blackface album, mm -hmm. and we were trying to get a remix. And we didn't want the run of the mill, like people just lift off your vocals and put a new track under it for a remake. We wanted to really do a, a remix because yeah. like, I think SWV had kind of set the tone with that Human Nature remix from Teddy Riley. Like, yes. like you can do something that's a little different than the original version 
that's still bangings and still right. that familiarity that, that both of them can be in the top 10 without competing with each other. They got their own, but our label didn't see that anyway. So our label didn't give us any support on the remix. So we, on our own dime, we went to New York. We had some relationships. We reached out to, at the time, Hot 97, Marley Maul was the, the, the main DJ on Hot 97. And, you know, Legendary. We came up with, we only had five racks. Like, you know what I mean? Getting five racks out of our own pocket, you know what I mean? Because um, the label wasn't trying to do no and, remix. And, and you said, like, you want to do a remix. But, but so, when you came to him, like, did you say, I want so-and-so? Or he recommended, no, no, like... No, this is, this is his doing. So, look, so we, we were like, you know, we, you Marley Maul. Like, right. if anybody got any kind of connect with anybody who he thinks might sound good, because we was using his track and the track that he served us to do the remix on. Yes, I remember it. So when he gave us that track as the track that he was like, y'all can use this for the remix. Well, me and Darnell being heads and Darnell being from Jersey, from Patterson, we was instantly, yo, we gonna kill this right here, right? Oh, yo, yeah. oh my God. So we, we, me and Darnell wrote that song, that whole thing down. And, um, and you know, the, the, the beat was crazy. And, you know, we was thinking, like, who can be on the Snoop? We was thinking all these different names. Yeah. And then well, we was like, hold up. This is Marley Wall's creation. Man, Marley, Marley got some. Marley was like, don't worry about it. I got a few heads that I'm thinking about. And then he was like, yo, I got somebody. And um, he told us who it was. And at the time, the only thing Jay-Z really had out was he had the um, – him and Foxy Brown, you know, ain't no, ain't no, one, no one yeah. got no one can do that. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That was out, you know, and um, he was making a name for himself through that. And, and the, the joints was coming out. He was on some mixtape stuff. Yep. He, it was nasty. He was like, ugh, ooh, yeah. And he was Marley's dude. So he was kind of like, he was the poster child of Hot 97. Marley Moore did the beat. And since it was our song, but it was their baby too. They all had a vested interest in it. Marley pushed it at Hot 97. It was number one at Hot 8 or 8 at 8 for like... He automatically gave it spins. Crazy. And look, yeah. our label did not do a video for it. Why? Because they didn't pay for it. They didn't have any dog in the fight. They didn't kick, you know, and it was a new label, a new um, black music department people um, that had come in. It was like a lot of turnover. So it was just a messed up situation. And we didn't... We did. We paid for the whole. I saw Jay Z was on it. Marley Marl produced it, and we couldn't even do a get a video. Yo, if you like, would have had the machine behind that, that record would have been crazy. So it became even like crazier than what it was. It, but it became like a like because it was the big market of New York that it happened to blow up, and you know usually songs that don't get all over the nation don't blow up in New York because right. that's just the taste usually for everybody else. So in a rare situation, New York was feeling something that never really got nowhere else because we didn't have the support. Yeah. But the thing was, the DJs, that song on Wax has become one of the like barometers of like you know what your what your what your crates looking like. You got that you got that shy J. Absolutely, you know absolutely. So it's like a rare like people know about it. Absolutely, <laughs> so I, too, I remember that J verse. He's, I don't remember it, but but I know he starts. You can he catch me in verses. the city, in the city sinning. Three. Yo, I know, I know. Touching the track up like pretty like, women. Like pretty women. Venom. Venom. <laughs> With the Yo, skins in, applying pressure to doing your damage. I do career ending. Y'all know what I'm representing. Yes, extra low. Got a one of the ten next to do. Y'all best to know I'm not alone. My music menage a trois with shy and I. Ha ha. Ooh, <laughs> you can kill me, man.
Classic J, crazy record, man. If you guys, if people in the chat have never heard it before, I'm pretty sure you could probably find it on YouTube or search it, man. You can, yeah, you can so definitely good. listen to it. Def definitely, man. Yo, a couple more questions, man. But um, let me see. Uh, someone wanted me to ask this. And you can answer it if you want, but basically asking, like, why did the t other two members leave, Carl and... um. Oh, yeah, well, you know, like, even what, early what on, like, okay, so like I said, I came into a group that was three alphas, and then I came in, and Darnell was my, my guy. Like, we were right. remix freshmen, like, we grew up, and then I met those two through that other. Yeah. So, so Carl was always kind of like, you know, he really had industry aspirations. I didn't grow up wanting to be in the industry. I kind of fell into the situation. We ended up being in, and it was nice. Like, but I always knew that that wasn't a real life scenario. Like one day I was going to get back in real life, right? Yeah. But Carl, Carl really, really, really was like, um, you know, he he really wanted to be in the industry. He knew more than us in terms of the business. Like he was more. He really. He did. He he did most that. of the production as well, right? Early on, yeah. Early okay. on, he did. But Darnell and Mark though were the actual musicians. Like ah. Darnell had a fine arts. He was a, he was on a trumpet, and Mark could play the piano like that. Like we did together forever during the storm. All that piano, like he wow. played for the church choir in um, wow. Howard. Like musicianship wise, so Carl was a budding producer. He was learning the beat machine pretty good, and he was trying to get some little piano. He was taking little piano classes, trying to get some chops. But Darnell was a pink, and Mark could play the piano. Like they were the you know. So anyway, right, right, right. But, Carl kind of had a more business savvy, and he, you know, he he kind of got made sure that the writing credits went a certain way for him, and that he, you know, he was like strategic how he did that. But he, um, he, he, he basically, you're saying you're you're basically saying he he had he already had a plan, a five year plan. Well, he was going to be in the industry regardless, is what yeah he, what he, he knew. Okay, like yeah. the way he, he was the guy that everybody needs to have in the group that is the the follow through person with the label that's going to, you know, mm -hmm. the only thing is. When you, when you create a situation like that, the guys that aren't that guy got to make sure that that guy still makes is, is definitely advocating for them too. <laughs> like, Correct. So you know he's getting relationships and all that. So that you know he was doing what he was supposed to do. To be honest with you, like you know, like he could have, you know, you know, uh, been maybe more like selfish even like actually because he had the relationship. So he probably would have never been a shot because he had it like that with them and he had them believing that he was doing you know. But mm -hmm. anyway, my point being, Carl always wanted to be like Carl, like an entity within the industry. He wanted to make his own stamp. And the four-man group thing, we all knew even going in it at some point, he was going to be on his own because he had those aspirations and stuff like that. And so just basically a matter of time from the leverage of the first album that we did so well, he really wanted it, like even the second album, he almost was gone by the second album, you know what I mean? To start off trying to do some right. stuff, try to get his own label, put out other artists. Like he had other aspirations, you know. And, right. Um, at the same time, you know, it was kind of like, you know, he fancied the whole project being more of his creation in the first place because he actually did write the lyrics to If I Were Fallen In Love, you know. But mm. the music version of If I Were Love For, like that, doom, 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 doom. that's an Isaac Hayes sample that Darnell brought to the production. The, oh. the, the changing of the chords and stuff. That's Mark and Darnell. That instead of ooh, da -da -da, you get ooh, mm. the different, slightly. That's Mark and Darnell's country. You know, it, so it's like arguable. You know, Carl did pin it, but Mark and Darnell had a heavy influence on our musicianship throughout Shot and the chords wow. that we could go through and different. 
So they didn't get represented, I'm saying, in terms of the writing credit. So when we try to get our feet, you know, get record deal after Carl left, they didn't believe that we could write or produce because Carl's name dominated everything. But oh. it really wasn't the case. He just knew he just knew more than us and got it like mm -hmm. that. And mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. come up, you know, more power to him. But um, it wasn't an accurate depiction of what went on in Shy in terms of the creative process, even though he is a beast on, with the pen, Carl is. Mm. Um, that's true. He, that boy's a beast with the pen. And um, and he's not a bad musician, don't get me wrong, but Darnell and Mark are musician musicians. Like Yeah. Um, so then, so it was three of us after that, me, Mark, and Darnell. We still kept it going. We would play with different little members coming in, helping doing different things. And then we just kind of like, at a certain point, you know, we just like some different little ethical things over like our price point kind of got us into a like a, a little tiff at, at a point. And then, you know, kind of, you know, want to blow out arguments and then it really, really was come back frumable with people's pride and all kind of stuff. Along the way. So just timing. And so Mark right. just didn't want to, I, I feel like Mark just didn't want to be in that no more and like dealing with that. And he was kind of, we were getting older. He was moving into other directions and family life and real estate and kind of reinventing himself because we were doing shows together but you know we had like a difference in, the, in, in um, opinion about how we was going on that the business and those and that so it ended up, ended up being that me and darnell were kind of the most most like-minded in those ways right. so we just kind of like yeah range and just kept and going you, forward and yeah you, numbers right and you and darnell so, still doing it yeah so you know we got two other guys actually one of the dudes is from the group riff from back in the day they went to Eastside High School with Joe Clark. Darnell went to that school too. But that he also he joined Men of Vision. And so one of the guys from Men of Vision, G Fly, and then um Dwayne, he came from when he left Riff and went to Men of Vision. Both of those dudes came to Shine now. So okay. we got G Fly and Dwayne in our group for the last 12, 13 years or so. And they got chops, they could sing. Yeah, yeah. They they've been they were in the industry before us, type of thing. Right. So, no, that's dope, man. We, I'm glad Darnell grew up with, you know, um Dwayne and stuff like that, you know, from Patterson. So like Darnell's dad was their manager when they were riff. And Darnell's dad was also a social worker at the school, you know, doing the Joe Clark era and all that kind of stuff. Man, so, Garfield, you didn't even tell me. We went through this whole interview and I had the, your wrong at name pinned. Oh. <laughs> that the Garfield right experience? I'm going to repeat it right now. Oh, I didn't know. They all, they all know. People know. That's um, the Garfield right. Yeah, look right, right here. I see no, it. now I'm going to pin it. There we go. Okay. Um, yeah, but that's it's crazy, it, so man. But but at least off that way. yeah, at least it leads me to my last question. Um, basically, you know, you're still doing it. You're still kind of doing shows, oh, but yeah. but you but you have your doctorate. You're a doctor now. Yep, Doctor Bright. I got my are you, PhD. You got your PhD. Are you mm -hmm. are you um in the medical field? What is it in? Oh no no no, medical doctor is an MD. MD, you have your and those okay. are doctors as well. Those are the doctors who you know, right? And the anatomical stuff, and right. They go to med school. Then Got it. You have philosophy, doctors of philosophy in different oh. disciplines. And so my discipline is education. I have a PhD in educational policy. Amazing. So you have PhDs in history, and PhDs in women's studies, and PhDs in you know all kind of stuff. How so did a you? Doctor, a doctor, a doctor, it just means a terminal level of that that trajectory of education. You have reached the final yes. level of it. That and comes so that comes after the master's, expert. right? Well, master's is before it. I got my master's at Georgia State right. as well in African American studies, focused on um, what is Africa, what is um, Afrocentric education. It was my thesis, and then I went to educational policy studies at Georgia State, and I looked at how black males navigate spaces that 
have inequitable power distribution, looking at how black males navigate classroom spaces in schools, uh -huh. and also how black males um, navigate the music industry as black male artists in a power mode, you know, when you're dealing with a contract, it's coming already leaned against you. You're trying to negotiate some comfort within a, a piece of a uh, document that's already in favor of the owner. And so how do you navigate that? And the same kind of dynamics in the school when, when a product is to come out of it, when you go from an artist to a product maker, you know, in terms of how the label, when they get it, what that is to them versus mm -hmm. what you think it, you know, in the same school, you are to become the product in a school scenario, going through a machine or going through a, 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 a program. Um, how do you navigate being, so, so going through a program that's supposed to make you into some kind of amenable product um, for the marketplace um, that's, mm. that might not be in line with how you are as a human. How do you navigate those things when, when two different trajectories might be happening at one time? And so I looked at that, you know what I mean? And um, it, it was interesting. It was interesting. How, how did you balance, um, you know, going out there, exp extending your education, getting the degree, and also, you know, still trying to tour and create music? How did you do that, crazy. man? You know, because, because I lived the double life anyways, just naturally, because, you know, education and, and being inside, was, that's actually my reality. Um, navigating that is just is actual natural to me to my life because that's what I've known, and so um like I we were on a time joining a cruise, um for seven days to fulfill the shot obligations we got called to perform and but I was finishing up chapter four on my master's thesis because I had to present, you know oh shoot to my, to that's my committee, crazy my committee chair when I got back off so I'm doing both I'm you know so it's just. Both of them are inside of me. And so I always look at, uh -huh. instead of an either-or kind of concept, go for the both-and situation. And so I'm doing both at the same time because both are actually me. You know what I mean? None of them is more important than the other. They both wow. are aspects of myself, and I just went for it. You know? Wow. So. Yeah, definitely. Somebody said discipline. Absolutely. Discipline, hard work, motivation. That's not easy what you did. So salute to you, man. Thank you, man. Sometimes Absolutely. I wonder if I'm, if I'm crazy because the kind of discipline <laughs> it takes to kind of focus like that. It's, it's a lot, of, man. It's beyond, um, you know, it's like, it's scary because it's a fine line between that kind of focus and some kind of mental disorder. <laughs> because I mean, it's hard. Kind of gotta, you know, so I can, I can respect like, like certain athletes that perform at a very high level. Like, mm -hmm. think about a person like a Tiger Woods or a LeBron who comes out of high school. While, while in high school, ESPN is at his games. So the threshold for failure for him, you know, it's got to be low. Like, you know, like any little thing will be like, oh, you aren't the anointed one. And this is a 17-year-old kid. So going through the pros, he's putting on grown man teams expecting to be the savior. And he actually did this stuff. Like, you know, right. it stayed out of trouble. And, like, so my point is, like, on the spot, training and doing that if you made out of that it's like you can't teach anybody that like you that's got to be a kind of a thing that's beyond a conscious kind of like I agree out of trouble you got to be wired a certain kind of way and i attest that to get your phd and to go through the phases of the coursework and then get your dissertation completed and um approved and then and, and, and they say congratulations you know you have mm -hmm. partial fulfillment of your you know blah blah like that kind of sacrifice is crazy let alone the kind of monetary, um, you know, um, sacrifice that it takes to kind of even go there as well. And then you got to alienate family members and different people who don't understand what you are actually doing and how intense you have to be to perform at a high clip. Like I had a 4.03 grade point average on top of 
getting the award-winning dissertation out of my cohort. Salute so to you, I man. Stay through on some shy, like like I really did it at a high clip because I yes. came from high, but I was already a scholar type of guy. So you know, and so to really perform at my standard, I took it so serious. And, you know, maybe, you know, like a lot of people in my world suffer, you know, and I apologize to them, but it's kind of like hard for them to really understand that kind of sacrifice because you got to, you know, it's, you can't, every, it's like a juggle that you can't, it's like a, almost like a lose-lose in a lot of those ways, you know what I mean? But you still keep your eye on that goal. So like teams that go for the championship or like, I see mm -hmm. how special because all those ups and downs that people don't see to get to the culminating point. They'll praise that culminating point, but all the collateral damage along the way that can never be repaired, that's, that's, those are scars that I still live with. But I accomplished something rare, you know, being a platinum yeah. artist who also got a PhD. That's something so you, that I'm not sure that's yeah. been done. But, right, so you but feel like you're, that. that's what I'm just saying, you feel like the end goal was worth it? Yeah, you know, because legacy-wise, even though like when time clears and goes past and people really see what I did and what it actually means to just, just you know, just, just to the legacy of my family name and, and then this yep. artist in general in terms of perception of how people view artists um, or the pretty light skin within the group. I'm actually Dr. Bright because I'm substantive at the same time, but people might not have known that. And then I don't wear it, I don't carry it like that. I'm still G from the hood too, um, yeah. you know what I mean? But I'm myself in all spaces, but the aptitudes that I carry and have are not easily seen on my sleeve. So you can't sleep on people. And um, I'm a testament to that. Like um, when people get to know me and speak to me and talk oh, to me, they nice. see that there's some gray matter there. But, you know, I don't take that too serious. I don't walk around telling people to call me Dr. Bright. But when you find out, you realize it. So I think later on in the future, when people scan the history or the terrain in the R&B world and I, I pop up, there might be a special little caveat there in terms of like how I na navigated and negotiated this thing. Absolutely. But now in the present, you know, it was hard work, but it was definitely worth it. Absolutely, man. That's great. I hope that's that's an amazing story. Now, <clears throat> our time is up. Um, what do you got to say to the fans, you know, listening? You got anything new coming on? Like what? This is your time to kind of just plug whatever you need to plug, bro. I'm doing a, a doing a, a um, album is all acapella called off, off track because I created the tracks with my mouth and then I did the songs on top of that. So I'm coming off track. Okay. Um, Darnell and myself, we're doing a project called the D&G kind of thing. I just wrote a fiction book called Lotus 3013. It's a combination of Harry Potter, Star Wars, Beach Street. Um, oh. And if you can picture those three. Um, and it's coming out next month. And, um, you know, just be prepared. Check the IGs for the different things. I'm making commercials and stuff for it now. So y'all will be in the know and the loop. But support when it comes out. You know, my sons did the production on the score for the Lotus book. Like in, in 3013, hip hop is believed to be a white cultural product. And so it's the forces of good and evil dealing with that. And it's a whole thing. Mm. It's a whole thing around it. But um, it's, it's dope. I'm interested. I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to support. All right, man. Well, listen, again, thank you so much for jumping on the platform. I think the conversation was sick, man. I had a great time talking to you. Yeah, I had a uh, you know, on, yeah if you ever want to come back on with Darnell, let me know. We can definitely oh, chop yeah, it up, man. The door is open. And, and we thanks can... to everybody out there that supported us over the years and just love good music. Keep supporting, man. Like, that means the world to us, for sure. Absolutely. Dr. Garfield, it was a pleasure, brother. Take care. Salute. Salute, bro.